Um, all right, we're going to start with verse 6 and 1 John chapter 5. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he does not believe in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, so we're continuing on in 1 John, and as, as I mentioned earlier, it's only a few more weeks away that we'll be actually in the concluding chapter, or concluding verses of 1 John. Um, and so far, we're still in that, that point in 1 John where it's about love, where love is the theme. And it makes sense that so many people consider 1 John to be the book of love. Because he does talk about it so much. It's just there in the undercurrents throughout the whole letter. And so at this point we come to an important point about the Son of God. About Jesus Christ who is the life. And how in the end how that love that he's been talking about for so long ties into all of this. So let's go ahead with verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. We now come to one of the more debated verses in 1 John. Before we get into the debate aspect of it, there are a few things to consider. The first is that the one who came was Jesus Christ. Um, this emphasizes the previous focus of Jesus as the Son of God and a confession of Jesus as necessary for victory in this dark world, and is essential to receive and abide in the love of God mentioned in the previous verses. The fact that Jesus came represents a motif found within the Gospels. Jesus is the one who would come after John the Baptist. He was the one who came as light in the darkness. And this also represents an Old Testament statement made manifest through Jesus Christ. He was the one who was to come for a particular purpose. Now is the time that we consider the debate. And that, and that was, what does John mean when he says, Jesus came by water and blood? And further, why does he find the need to emphasize it right after saying it? Well, first we'll have to consider what does it mean by water. There are many different understandings of this. It could mean Jesus' baptism. It could mean his baptism ministry. Or that he was conceived in the womb. It could represent that he was pierced in his side and then water came out. And finally, it could reflect on the law and the necessity of ceremonial washing. Before we consider which one is the best interpretation, we'll let, now look at the blood. Because they kind of go hand in hand in some way. What does it mean that he came by blood or by the blood? This also has several interpretations. The first is that it represents his sacrifice on the cross. Or it could be, again, his conception and birth. Or it could be understanding that when he was pierced in his side, because not only water came out, but blood. Um, and finally, it could also represent the law and the necessity of blood. 
So now that we have all the different interpretations out of the way, some of you might be wondering, okay, which one is the best interpretation? Well, I can't say for sure what the best interpretation is 100%, but I will say which one I think holds the most weight. Um, For the water, it seems most likely a combination of Jesus' baptism, his baptismal ministry, and the law. We remember that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and then it stayed with him. Likewise, he continued that same ministry following the footsteps of John the Baptist, though it was his disciples who were the ones who actually did the baptisms, he still commanded them to do so. Now with the blood... The best interpretation is with his death on the cross and the law. His blood is often the root for our faith, that by his blood we are redeemed and our sins are atoned for. So most commentators understand it from that perspective. Now when I say the law, because both of them tied in with the law, the law works with both and and through both of these interpretations concerning Jesus' baptism and his baptismal ministry and his atoning work on the cross, since all of this is connected in the law to the law in some way, whether it was the necessity of washing or the necessity of atonement through the blood. So the law really underscores Jesus' baptism, his baptismal ministry, and his work on the cross. So at this point we notice that John emphasizes these truths. In particular he says, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. Why does John say this? It could be to emphasize Jesus' superiority over the ministry of John the Baptist, who only washed with water. Or it could, and very likely, is meant to go against those who would hold to Jesus' baptism, but not the necessity of his blood. Um, In truth, both his baptism and baptismal ministry and his blood are necessary for the Christian faith. We know this. For by both are the proclamations that Jesus is the Son of God. This ultimately leads then to the Spirit. The Spirit often corresponds with the truth in in the New Testament. It is through the Spirit we know truth, and the Spirit himself testifies and affirms the truth of the water and the blood. This is the most powerful affirmation concerning Jesus Christ, because it is God himself who affirms the truth of the gospel of Jesus. So now this leads us to verses 7 and 8 where it gets fleshed out a little bit better. Um, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. In verse 7, John focuses on the reality that there are three things that testify to Jesus Christ. The fact that John uses the present in order to say that these things um, reminds us of the continuing affirmation these three witnesses provide. It is not that we, 2,000 years later are unaware of the witnesses, and said they continue to witness to us concerning Jesus Christ. Likewise, the fact that there are three might represent the Old Testament and New Testament commandments that recognizes two or three witnesses were necessary for trials. In verse 8, John tells us who the three witnesses are. In this case, it is the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three witnesses testified at Jesus, and their testimony is enough for us to have faith that Jesus really is the Son of God, and that he really is the Christ. Now verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he born concerning his Son. John then uses an argument from lesser to greater. 
If we accept the testimony of men, why wouldn't we accept the testimony of God? Before we get too far, we might want to ask, who are these men? Are they the prophets? Are they those who proclaim the gospel? Or is it simply an acceptance of testimony under any circumstance? Or is it a combination of all these things? Ultimately, the latter seems to make the most sense. Regardless, though, if the testimony we are hearing and accepting, if we accept it from men, then we most certainly should accept it from God. The first reason for this is that God is far greater than man, and he speaks truth. With such recognition of God and his infiniteness and his truth, it makes most sense for us to accept his testimony above all others. To not accept his testimony and accept others would be an affront to God himself. Yet while John could only focus on God being greater by definition, or he could have focused on God being greater by definition, he takes a different route by arguing the testimony of God itself, which is the testimony concerning his son, Jesus Christ. This particular testimony is what is so pivotal for John. For by God... The testimony of Jesus Christ is assured. Because God testifies concerning his son, then that sets precedence for its absolute truth. Thereby, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, they are all assured by God's personal testimony concerning his son. Now verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. John now focuses on those who accept and those who reject the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For those who believe in the Son of God, the testimony is within them. This testimony represents the Holy Spirit, who continues to testify of the truth of the gospel. Though it does not end there either, it also accepts the testimony of the water and the blood previously mentioned. Thus, those who accept the testimony will find the witnesses within them. Thus, the redemptive work within the individual is occurring. Now, antithetical to belief is obviously unbelief. Those who reject the testimony of the witnesses, the water, the blood, and the Holy Spirit, end up doing something abominable. They end up making God out to be a liar. This same statement is said in chapter 1, for those who claim to have not sinned. Those who do so make God out to be a liar because God himself testifies against our sins. Thus, those who reject the testimony of God in regards to Jesus Christ also proclaim God to be a liar in his testimony concerning his son. It all stems on the testimony of God concerning Jesus Christ his son. Therefore, the significance of the antithesis between those who believe and those who do not believe is stark before us and reminds us of the severity of rejecting the witness of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Now verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 11 looks backwards, but it also looks forwards in the letter. Concerning backwards, it recognizes the testimony of God and what it entails. Those who believe in the testimony have received eternal life. This is positive in all forms. 
John doesn't focus on the reality of sins, sins being forgiven or redemption, though that is certainly in the background. Instead, he focuses on the life, that we have this life. Likewise, there is a reflection that this is a gift. We notice God gave us eternal life. It is not earned on our own part. It is given by his grace. We cannot attain eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. It is only through him, belief in him, that we are able to attain it. Thus, this completes the testimony in our understanding of accepting water, blood, and spirit. In all of this, it represents the Son, Jesus Christ, who is in those who believe in the testimony about him. And now we come to the final verse. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is where the previous verse was looking forward to. If this life, this eternal life, is in Jesus who is the Son then the only conclusion is that those who have the Son have life. This has been a focus for John throughout the letter. The necessity of Jesus for eternal life has not been downplayed at all, but continually presented before us. Thus, if we have the Son, and we abide in Him, and He in us, then we have eternal life. Yet there is a warning Those who do not have the Son of God do not have life. Those who reject the witness of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, do not inherit eternal life. The logical conclusion is that those who do not have eternal life will experience death. Therefore, John gives us two options, life or death. To enter into eternal blessedness, where we experience the love of God forevermore, Or to enter into judgment, where there is no love from the Father through the Son to those who reject Jesus, who is the Son of God. Those are our choices. Choose wisely. Now this leads us to our main point. The main point of this section in 1 John is to provide for us the witnesses of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. With God being the main witness to his own Son. Thus those who believe... In the Son, accept the full witness of the Son and receive eternal life. Those, however, who do not accept the witnesses will not inherit eternal life, and because of this, they will face judgment for their rejection of God. Now, this leads us to our application points. The first one is testimony. Today, we see the obvious point of the importance of testimony. We see that the water, the blood, and the Spirit of God himself testifies to the truth that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Son of God. Thus, there are ramifications to the testimony provided concerning Jesus. And John has purposefully given us two options to heed. The first is to accept the testimony, and the second is to reject it. Before we do so, however, we may want to consider the testimony in full. Because... That is the truth of the testimony. It is a full testimony. To reject even a portion of the testimony is to reject it all. It will not do to accept one aspect of the testimony while at the same time rejecting other parts of it. We see this when John emphatically declares that Jesus came in both water and blood and not just water. And that the water, the blood, and the spirit are all witnesses to Jesus, the Son of God. One cannot accept a portion or a piece. 
all of it must be accepted. In regards to this, there are many who would reject some of the testimony presented to us concerning Jesus. There are those who would reject the notion of the water, that he was baptized, or that he was taught, or he taught baptism, or that through him we are cleansed of our impurity. Likewise, there are those who reject the notion of his blood, that his blood was not a work of the atonement of our sins, and that we need some other kind of atonement in order to find salvation. Still others may reject the Spirit's own witness of these great things. To reject even one of these things is to fail to understand the whole of the point, which is that the gospel itself is being presented to us in these terms. The gospel in full forces us um, to accept the presented water, the blood, and the spirit. It is through these things the gospel speaks boldly to us concerning Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. As Christians, we are called then to accept the witnesses because of what it is that they are witnesses to. They are witnesses to the reality of Jesus, who really is the Son of God, who really is the one who was long hoped for, and who really is the Christ. To accept all the witnesses concerning Jesus is to accept all of these serious beliefs. An acceptance of these beliefs will cause serious change within the one who believes. It recognizes that the one who does believe has life in them. The life is equated to Jesus. Therefore, those who believe in the Son, believe the proclamation of the witnesses, have the Son abiding in them. To have the Son abide in them will bring a change of lifestyle because as John has told us previously, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This world is a dark world bound in sin and death. Christ, however, is not dark. He is light. He is not bound in sin. He is bound in righteousness. Likewise, he is not bound in death, but defeated death and has eternal life. Thus, those whom Christ abides and who abides in Christ have light, have righteousness, and have life within them. These things are not partially given, but given in full from God to those in Christ. In this, we remember the entirety of the gospel, that the gospel reminds us any righteousness we have is, in reality, Christ's own righteousness given to us. Likewise, it reminds us that the light we have originates not from ourselves, but from God, and that the life we have is given to us by God's grace, not because of who we are. This last point is significant for the whole of what John has been saying since the previous chapter. As we remember, for a long time, John has been focusing on the reality that we are to love one another, especially other Christians. He argued that the foundation for us loving one another is the reality that God loved us first. Now we see that further in what he reminds us today. Because if you remember, John says, God gave us eternal life. By giving us eternal life, it reminds us that it is not something earned. It was not as though I were so good, or you were so good, or this world were so good as to deserve eternal life. Instead, God gave us eternal life exactly because of the opposite. And that is that we, that we, and that is what we found in the witnesses. Good people do not need purification from water, nor do they need to be atoned by blood. 
Those who are not sinners are not in need of repentance of faith. It is those who are in need of repentance and faith that are in need of being washed clean. Earlier in 1 John, we learned that anyone who claims to not have sin is a liar and ultimately makes God a liar. So it comes in full circle. We are all sinners in need of being washed and atoned by the blood of Christ. Because there are none who can claim to have no need for the gospel, if that was the case, then a testimony presented to us concerning water, blood, and spirit would be meaningless. It would be meaningless for God to inform us of our great need through His Son, Jesus Christ. It would be meaningless for Christ to have suffered and bled if we were not in need of redemption from our sins. But as it is, Christ did suffer. He did die for our sins. He does cleanse us. He does atone for us by His blood. And the Spirit does beckon us to hear the gospel, to bear witness to the reality of who Jesus is as the Son of God, as the Christ, and those who believe are given the Spirit, who continue to remind them and to teach them of all the gospel and its ramifications. All of this is given to us as a gift by God. This eternal life is not something earned, for we are not worthy to earn it to begin with. Instead, it is given to us, to those in need, to those who are completely undeserving, So it is that this helps us love one another. Because it reminds us that none of us were deserving. And because none of us were deserving, we can love each other knowing ourselves. It it is by knowing our own depravity, our own great need for redemption, that we are able to love one another as God has called us to love. We can look at each other and say, in the end, I know my heart and I know my sin is great. And then we can even go as far as Paul and challenge him by saying, I am the least. So it is with this that I encourage everyone to hear the whole testimony which is before them concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is not a small matter, this testimony. Instead, it takes all of who Jesus is and causes us to see all of him as well as ourselves. What will we do? Will we accept the water? Will we accept the blood and the Spirit who witnesses, who are witnesses to the Son of God? Will we accept the testimony of God Himself concerning the Son whom He loved, whom He sent, whom He gave? Or will we deny and reject this testimony? There is little choice for us in the matter. For those who are in the life, they know that there is no greater testimony than belonging to the Son of God. So we will march on. We will take this standard of Jesus Christ and we will abide in Him and He in us, knowing that there is no life apart from Christ. There is no hope apart from Christ. There is only darkness and an absence of love. So know the love of God by grabbing hold to the testimony before us. For it is through Christ we experience not only life, but the great love of God given to those who belong to His Son. Now this leads us to our second point, and that's belief. It would be remiss of me to leave the previous point as is. Many who would hear that point would take it at face value, who would hear, believe, and believe that it is as simple as that. 
By this I mean that there are those who would believe that they only had to have belief once in order to attain this salvation. But that's not what we read today. Instead, we notice John says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has testimony in himself. Notice what John says. Whoever believes. It is not a mere once and done belief. It is not a mere profession. A moment when one has belief. Instead it is a continual belief. It is a continual believes. It is a belief that has a beginning and then keeps going. Not dying. Not being forgotten. But continuing on in the one who believes. There are many who believe that Christianity is a once and done moment. Yet that is simply not true. Christianity is continually on repeat. We are not we are to continue to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to continue on in the belief which first brought us to the faith. Only the one who continues to believe in the testimony of God does that testimony continue to dwell in them. This reality flies in the face of the concept of easy believism, which permeates Christianity today. Nowhere in 1 John have we had a chance to believe in Christ in a wayward way. Instead, we have continually been told of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to confess Jesus is the Son of God. It is to live in a way which believes the very real testimony concerning Jesus Christ. Not only that, it is also to continue to believe. It is to continue to have faith in Jesus, even when things go dark around us. When the world around us would rather squash us than love us. In such circumstances, we see that the only way that this belief can be maintained is if God himself is actively involved with our faith. It is not enough for us to make a decision to follow Christ. We need help. We need a change within us. So we see in 1 John that continued state of abiding in Christ. We see how it corresponds closely to him abiding in us. His spirit within us, guiding us in the truth. We see how Christ, life itself, is a gift given to us by God. In all ways we see the work of God in us. It is by him, his grace, his mercy, his love, that we continue to be able to strive after him. This should give us pause. It should remind us that we are not in this life alone. It is not that God expects us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps when it comes to faith in him. Truth be told, if it were all up to us, we would probably all, we would definitely all, fall away very quickly from the faith because we have so much darkness around us and have experienced so much darkness ourselves in this life. But by God's grace, this is not the case. We do not have to face it all on our own. For the one who grants us faith, who begins this good work, is within us. He causes us to continue to believe. He is the one within us, causing this belief to continue within us. Unfortunately, most do not understand this. There are many who have been misled by a misconception of the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Those who hold that once saved, always saved, and since they once were saved, they will always be saved. Now, in reality, this is true. However, what most people do not understand is that this does not mean that once um, one is saved, that they can fall away and that it'll be all right. Such a concept is foreign to the scriptures, and it is foreign to the doctrine itself.
Once saved, always saved, or perseverance of the saints, does not mean that once one believes, one can fall away. Instead, historically, it means that once one has come to saving faith of Jesus Christ, then they will continue in the faith until either Christ returns or they pass away. Yet the reason why one is always able to continue in the faith is not because of their own doing. Instead, it is God who perseveres them. It is God who continues to hold fast to them, which allows them to hold fast to God. It is not that we will continue because we are so strong. It is that we will continue because God is so strong within us. So it is with all of this that I give you the encouragement to consider what it means to have continued for so long in the faith thus far. That it means God has persevered this faith within you. That it is God who has caused you to continue to believe even when all things would rise up against you. This should give us great hope. Because it reminds us that what John has said previously is true. That the one who is in you is really greater than the one who is in the world. Because God is greater, we will continue on in the faith because he maintains us. Because God is greater, we will continue to believe because he works within us, keeping us in our belief. So be encouraged, knowing that if you have been converted, it is by the power of God Almighty. And that because it is a work of God, we can be sure that it will last. Not only will it last, but he will see it through to its ultimate completion, which is eternal life, which is given to us through Jesus Christ, his Son. Now all of this leads us back to the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that shows us our need for washing, for cleansing, for atonement, for God himself to work within us. This is what we have seen here in 1 John, the gospel. And the witnesses of the gospel, which are the water, the blood, and the spirit of God. They all testify to the truth of this gospel, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the life. This gospel teaches us of our origins. We are created in the image of God. And because God is a God of reason, love, morality, truth, knows, he is known, has personhood, and he displays hesed, we can as well, because we are created in his image. Ultimately, it is because of God we are who we are. And it is because we are made in his image, we are not a zero, but we have worth. Hence, it is here we find dignity and sanctity to all human life. Like God, however, we were also able to choose. We could either choose to follow God into life or choose to follow sin into death. Humanity chose to fall into sin and death and has continued to make that choice ever since. Because of this, we have broken relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world. Every day we continue to accrue a greater moral guilt before our God, our Creator. This is our state. We are in desperate need of salvation, and we cannot find the power within ourselves to save ourselves. Thanks be to God, though, that He did not remain silent forever. Instead, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and rise again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by him we are saved from our sins through his life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. We are atoned from our sins through his death, and by his resurrection we too will receive a resurrection into eternal life. His victory in life over death is our victory in life over death. 
All that is required of us is obedience in two things. The first is repentance from sin. We are to turn away from our sinful lifestyles and turn to God. We are to no longer produce works of the flesh, but instead we are to fall into the grace of God by giving our lifestyles up, by falling in step with the Spirit of God, in love, in obedience to the Scriptures. The second is faith in Christ. We recognize that though we are changed, and though we live a different lifestyle apart from sin, this does not save us. Instead, it is the work of Jesus Christ which saves us from our sins. It is his life, death, and resurrection which we find our own justification before God Almighty. By placing our faith in him, we accept our inability and trust in his work for our salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. For those who do not place their faith in Jesus, there is only condemnation and judgment. None of us can boast righteousness before God. Instead, we can only boast in our sin and our moral guilt. Because of this, any who goes before God apart from Christ will not inherit eternal life, but will receive judgment for their sin. For those who do place their faith in Jesus, however, there is salvation from sin and death. We receive the very Spirit of God who lives within us, helping us overcome the world. We will find life abundantly as we are raised in glory according to the will of God. And we become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom which will last forever, having peace and love with God forevermore. As we leave here today, I hope that this gospel stays with you. I hope that you would see how God works this salvation within us and how he causes us to persevere through this faith. That he is the one who is greater. He is the one who is stronger. And because of that, we are able to overcome by his power within us. So have hope in these things. Remembering the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Knowing that it is through him we inherit eternal life. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for the testimony of your Son, Jesus Christ. For we know the water, we know the blood, and we know the Spirit within us. And Lord, we know that these things, if we grasp them, if you give this to them, then they will be within us. And they will continue within us all the days of our lives, and even into life eternal. And so it is with this, Lord, that we offer ourselves to you as sacrifices. That we give ourselves over to the blood, the water, and the spirit, knowing that it is by your power we persevere. You keep us believing, Lord, because you are so great and so mighty. And we are so weak, so powerless. But that is where we find our hope. Because though we are weak, and though we have no strength, you do. You have great strength, and it is by you we persevere. So, Lord, we thank you for this love. We thank you for this grace and for this mercy. And we ask that you would sustain us through all the dark days of our lives into eternal life. Amen. Please rise as we sing our